Man, you guys ready? We are on our last week of our message series, Hashtag Relationship Goals. And uh, Fam Church, we are here uh, to connect people to Christ. That's our hope, that's our goal, that's our passion. We want people to know who Jesus is because of Fam Church being here. And if you're here this morning and you're checking us out for the first time, maybe in church for the first time in a while, or in church for the first time ever, we're really excited that you're here. And, uh, and we believe and we hope that this service this morning and what you've experienced here this morning has helped you to connect with Christ in a way that you never have before. And, uh, and so relationship goals. Where have we been in this journey on relationship goals? Well, here's Here's where we've been. The first week, we looked at goals in our relationships with our family and those that we live with. You know, those, those of us in maybe roommate situations and that sort of thing. We, we looked at that. And then last week, we looked at our relationship in, a, in the church. And we looked at three areas uh, that, that we need to do, we need to set as relationship goals to, to relate to one another here in the church. And the first one was that we were to love one another. We needed to have real, genuine love for each other. And so that was our first goal is to love one another. Then the second relationship goal last week was to handle issues, handle problems, and handle conflicts the way that Jesus had said to handle them. And for that, we looked at uh, uh, Mark chapter or Matthew chapter 18, where, where Jesus explains that we go to somebody who we have problems with, and we talk to the person we have problems with, not with everybody else. And that's where we're at. Uh, that, was, that was point two, is that we needed to, uh, to, to make sure that our, in our relationships, we were handling conflict in the right way. And then the third thing that we saw was that um, we needed to, uh, um, I stepped on my glasses yesterday, and so these glasses are like 10 years old, and they're kind of useless, but I have to have them on to drive, and so I just put them on um, just so that if I've got my glasses on, I can't see very well, but I got them on, you know, and so I just, it'll help me probably better if I if I take them off. But then the last thing was we saw is that if we had empathy for one another and uh, we didn't think we were better than one another, and if we were living out those relationships, if we are living out our relationship in the church that way, we are going to see our relationship goals in the church met. And so moving on to today's message, what we're going to be talking about <coughs> is, uh, is relationship goals um, with us and the rest of the world. And so in order to look at that this morning, we are going to be looking at a familiar story, a per familiar parable from the Bible. It's called the story of the Good Samaritan. And I was almost not going to use it because I was afraid that people would say, man, I've heard that so many times, I don't even have to bother paying attention to this. I'm just going to check out during this because I've heard this so many times. And so I actually started looking for something else to talk or some other verse to use, but I kept coming back to this. And so this is what we're going to use and we're going to be in Luke chapter 10, that's where the story of the Good Samaritan is found. And if you're familiar with where Luke chapter 10 is at, you are welcome to turn there. Um, if you don't know where Luke chapter 10 is at, uh, Luke is the third book in what's called the New Testament. You got Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And then you can just go to chapter 10, and it's right there. If you have trouble finding it, uh, it's all good. It's going to be on the screen behind me. And we have an extra special piece to our, our, uh, our uh, uh, reading of the text this morning is we're going to have some students from our youth ministry to help us act it out. But this is what it says. We're going to be reading verses 24 through 37. And here is what it says. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. I should move out of the way. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? 
He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. We decided to spare you of the stripping, beating, and leaving half dead, and we've already got our half dead man out here on the stage. Well, it just so happened a priest was going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, also passed by on the other side. (laughs) But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, He took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. I miss the part of carrying him like a bride across the threshold. (laughs) But he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right, let's give all of our teens, our wonderful teen actors, a hand this morning. All right, there's a lot going on in this passage, and, uh, and when, when we read this, we've got to kind of key in on the initial question that Jesus was trying to answer here, and the, the initial question that Jesus was asked was, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? That's where this man started from, and the answer that Jesus gives, I think, is different than you would expect, okay? Um, he says that in order to inherit eternal life, one must love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, we get the part where Jesus says, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength when it comes to inheriting eternal life because we're like, yeah, I know that I need to love God. I need to serve Jesus. I need to do all of those things. But there's this extra piece here that just doesn't seem to fit that seems to be strange where he says that we also need to love our neighbor as ourself. And so what I think Jesus is trying to get at here in this text is that if we really love him, it's going to change the way that we view people outside of our circle of family and friends. You see, instead of the dislike that we have when it comes to people who are outside of our circle because we don't have relationship with them, because we don't trust them, just because we don't know who they are, Jesus is saying, look, if you love God, you are going to love your neighbor, and you're not just going to love your neighbor, but you're going to love your neighbor just as much as you love yourself. And of course, with the answer to that question, Jesus 
asks, the man then asks Jesus another question, and he says, well, then, who is my neighbor? Neighbor, And that's when Jesus breaks out into this parable or story. And so let's break down some of the components, components of this to answer our question, who is our neighbor and what our relationship goals should be with the world. And so let's start by talking about this road to Jericho. Okay, this road was a very interesting place. And up until the earliest 20, early 20th century, this road was known as a very dangerous road to travel on. Okay, if you were traveling on it, many times people would hire a, a, a gang, for lack of other words, to travel with them down the road, even up until, you know, 1900, they would hire these gangs to travel with them to keep them safe. The road was called uh, the Red Way or the Bloody Way. I mean, isn't that a great name for a road? Does anybody live on Bloody Way here? You know, imagine that, hey, I'm at 1645 Bloody Way. You know, oh, that's an awesome address. That's where I want to live. I want to live on Bloody Way. I put it into Google Maps just to see if there was a road named uh, Bloody Way. There's not, but there's Bloody Point, Bloody Lane, and uh, Bloody Court. And so it makes me wonder what happened on those roads that they got those names. You know what I'm saying? But uh, anyway, so, so this is this, this, this road, and uh, what the deal with this road was, how it got the name the Bloody Road, and is that it starts, this road starts in Jerusalem. It starts at an elevation of 2,300 feet. And in 22 miles, it goes from 2,300 feet above sea level to 1,300 feet below sea level. It drops 3,600 feet. Well, in 22 miles to drop 3,600 feet, there's got to be a lot of uh, steepness to the road. See, that road was covered with rock outcroppings, with switchbacks. Everybody know what a switchback is when you're, when you're traveling on a mountain? It's kind of things that go back and forth like this. Uh, a, a lot of places, caves and other things and for places for people to hide. And so what, what happened was bandits took advantage of this because the road was narrow. It was very difficult to travel on. There was lots of caves, lots of rocks, lots of places to hide. And so bandits used this as a place to go and rob and steal from those who were traveling on the road. And so you'd be hiking down that road, they'd be hiding off in a cave. You'd come by, they'd jump out at you. They'd beat you to near death, like it said in the thing. They'd take everything that you had and they took off. Because of that, most people knew not to travel this road by themselves. In Jesus' time, they would travel that road in caravans, okay? So it'd literally be tens or a hundred people traveling down that road just to protect themselves and to keep themselves safe on the journey. But this traveler, decided to be rather reckless in his life and decided he was going to travel this road alone, okay? And so the situation that he finds himself in, all beat up, all, all, all bloody, half dead, was actually a situation that was his fault, and it was his fault alone because he knew what the road was like, and still he decided to walk it by himself, so he's laying there bloody. Let's look at these two men that pass by, first by the priest and the Levite. And so the first thing I want you to know about the priest and the Levite is, you know, we look at them, we see them, like what we just saw up here on stage, we see them, somebody laying there, and we see them going way out here to pass by to stay away from him. But there was a reason that they did that, okay? And the reason was this. They would also take people, they would beat somebody up, set them on the road, and then hope that somebody would stop so that they could jump out and beat up that person. 
I mean, this thing still goes on today. Have you heard news stories about somebody breaks down on the, or they, they went to help somebody who had a flat tire or engine problems on the side of the road and they got robbed at gunpoint when they pulled over to help them? Have you heard those stories? I mean, this kind of thing still goes on today. It's not something that, that doesn't happen uh, today. But, but these guys, these priests and the Levites, probably one of the first things that was in their mind when they were coming upon this man who was laying here in, in the middle or on the, off to the side of the road, all bloodied and beat up, was that's a trap they're trying to set me up they're trying to get me to go over there and bend down and help him and then they're going to come out from behind the rocks they're going to jump on me they're going to beat me up they're going to steal my stuff and so I need to protect myself I need to stay safe I need to stay out of the danger zone and so to prevent that from happening I'm going to go way off over here on the other side they didn't want to fall victim in case there was any ulterior motives there Then our third guy passes by, the Samaritan. Instead of walking past the injured man, he runs to the man's aid and does what he can to help this injured person. And see, this is the person that Jesus is focusing on in this parable, and it's where we're going to focus as well as we look at the relationship goals that those who are Christians should have with the world in which we are living. Some of the information about the Samaritan, if you've been around the church for a while, you've heard this sort of thing, and so I'm sorry. But I just, in in case anybody doesn't know this, I just want to let them know, Samaritans were not well-liked people during their times, okay? The Samaritans were not liked by a lot of people groups, but especially by the Jews. The Jews had nothing to do with the Samaritans. If you were Jewish and you had to travel someplace and you had to walk through Samaritan territory, you would go around the territory. You wouldn't walk through the territory. Why? Because you didn't want to talk to a Samaritan. You didn't want to buy anything from a Samaritan. You didn't want to have to have a Samaritan help you. You didn't want to have to have a Samaritan even come near you, have any interaction with them in any sort of way. That's where they were at. It was a very, I mean, Samaritans were just not well-liked people, especially by the Jews. Uh, The Jews, if you were to walk up to the average Jew on the street and say, hey, what do you think of these people, the Samaritans? They would say words like, oh, they're unclean, they're unholy, they're uh, criminals, They're dangerous, they're perverse, they're traitors, they're worshiper of false gods. Even the word terrorist would come up because people thought that the Samaritans helped the Romans to take down the Jewish nation. And now Jesus is saying to everyone listening to this parable, if you want to show that you love God, you need to be like the Samaritan. I mean, imagine how that hit the listener's ears. But with that, Jesus was trying to make a very loud and clear point, and that point is that everyone else in this world is our neighbor, regardless of what we think of them. And because they are our neighbor, our job and responsibility is to love them regardless of how we feel about them. It doesn't matter how scary they are. It doesn't matter if we don't like them. It doesn't matter if they are a different religion than us. It doesn't matter if they hate us. It doesn't matter. Jesus says any person, whether they live next door to us or not, whether they are related to us or not, even whether they live in this country or not, it doesn't matter. They are our neighbor. We do not get to determine who is and is not our neighbor. Our neighbor is everyone. Just because they do not agree with our politics does not mean that we can ignore them and their needs. 
Just because they are a different religious faith does not mean that we can ignore them and their pain. Just because they don't speak our language does not mean that we can ignore their plight. If they live in this world, they are our neighbor. I said that backwards, are our neighbor. I practiced those two words together for about five minutes because I knew I was going to have trouble saying them together and I still messed it up. All right. Well, this is especially relevant in today and our world in which we are living in. And uh, one of the big issues, of course, is refugees from the Middle East. I know there are people on both sides of the issue here this morning. We're not going to get into a political discussion, but there is one question that I would say that all of us need to ask ourselves, regardless of what side of the discussion that we are on when it comes to that, is this. Is our response a neighborly thing? Is our response the way we would want to be treated if we were in that situation? See, if you are of the view that refugees from the Middle East should not be allowed in the United States, that's fine. That's your view. And in our parable here, the Samaritan, he didn't take, the re- he didn't take this guy and put him in his house, okay? But we have to say to ourselves, okay, if I don't want them here, they have a lot of pain, they have a lot of problems, and they have a lot of issues, I still need to do something about it. I can't just say, oh, they just need to stay over there and I'm not going to do anything about it. We still need to pay a price. We still need to come up with some sort of cost because the Samaritan, he paid a price for this man to be rescued off the side of the road. And so we have to ask ourselves, okay, what price are we willing to pay to help them? You don't have to bring them here, but we have to do something to help their situation and the crisis they are in. But I would ask the same question of those of you who would like to bring refugees to the United States. It's not about bringing them here so the federal government can pay for everything for them. It's about bringing them here so that you can do something to directly impact their lives. Recently I talked to George Rafiti. He's an Assembly of God missionary to the Middle East refugees in Florida. And that's what he's doing to help refugees that are coming. They're coming here with nothing, and in the name of Jesus, his ministry is providing what they need to get started in their new life here. And many of them are coming to Christ because of it. They tell them that Islam and Allah has never done anything to take care of their needs. But all of a sudden, they come to America, and Christ and Christians are doing something to meet their needs, and because of that, they're coming to Jesus because of the difference that a follower of Jesus made in their life. And that's the point I would make. Regardless of your view of where they should be at, we need to be ones that are willing to make a difference so that they can see Jesus through us and come to Christ through us because of the impact and the difference that we made in their lives. Then the second thing I would say is just because someone makes bad decisions and ends up in the position they are in doesn't mean we don't have to do anything. As I already said, the guy who got robbed and almost got killed He did it to himself. It was a bad decision he made. He decided to travel on that road. 
And a lot of times, or sometimes, I've heard followers of Jesus say when it comes to people who have problems, who have issues, who have struggles that they face in life, they'll look at them and say, well, why should we do anything about it? They were the ones who made that decision and got themselves in that place in the first place. Because all I'm doing if I help them is enabling them and their bad decisions. Well, in this text, Jesus doesn't allow us to not get involved because we don't like the decisions that they made in life. Because many people in our community who are far from God have made really bad decisions in their life. They made the decision to start something like drinking or using drugs that led to an addiction, and that addiction has led to the place that they are at in life. Others in our community have made the decision to not plan and budget their money in the proper way, and it's led to the situations they are in. People in our community have chosen wrong in, in, the, in, the, in just everything, all of the things that they've done in life, but that does not absolve us as a church, as followers of Jesus, from doing something about their situation. See, this is the reason we are doing what we are doing as a church in the community. If you were here last week, you saw the video that we showed. If you weren't here last week and didn't see the video, go to our Facebook page and look at the video because you're going to be surprised at some of the things that's happening in Mulberry. Why are we up at the Mulberry Community Service Center passing out food on Wednesdays? Which, by the way, if you are free from 1 to 2 on Wednesdays and would like to help distribute food, you can come help us. Why are we doing that? Because my neighbor may have made a bad decision, but he or she is hungry and needs some food. Why do we host a pancake breakfast once a month? Because there are kids that live on our street whose parents have made bad decisions and so they do not get to eat on Saturdays because they are not at school. And we want to offer a meal. Why do we offer rigorously honest group on Monday nights? Because our neighbors made bad decisions in regards to drugs and alcohol, so now 20% of them between ages of 18 and 44 have a dependence on it in Mulberry. And we want to do something to make a difference with those in that situation. Why are we starting our Adopt-A-Block? Because our friends, our neighbors, and our classmates have been part of a bad decision, and that bad decision has left them in the spot that they are in, and we want to do something about it. Isaac, if you could come back up. Now listen, I know that we can't do everything about every problem and issue that our city, that our county, that our state, that our federal government, that our nation, and that our world faces. It would be impossible for us to do something about every single one of those things. And we don't know the Samaritan guy. It doesn't even tell us. Um, there could have been other guys that he passed on the road that were laying there, but he chose this guy. Or he could have at other times chose to bypass some and, and do something for, for this one guy. We don't know. But you know what? The thing is, is that when we hear about problems, when we hear about the struggles, when we hear of the issues that our friends, that our neighbors, that those around the world are having, God has given us one tool to help us in combating all of this. It's we can pray. 
A few, a few months ago, we talked about us as a church, whenever we're out in the community and we hear a pain and we hear a problem, we challenged all of us to stop and pray for the person that was in that situation. Just to say, you know what? I hear you've got this problem. I hear you have this issue. I hear this thing is going on. Can I pray for you? And praying for their need. We can do that. We maybe can't help in every situation, but there's no reason that when we hear of something going on that we cannot stop, that we cannot say, wait a minute, I need to pray for that. You know what, maybe um, I can't do anything about the refugees over in uh, whatever countries they are in, but you know what I can do? I can stop and I can pray and I can say, God, send someone to them. I can stop and I can pray and I can say, God, do something in that situation. And if there's hundreds, thousands, millions of believers asking God to move and work in situations, God's going to move and work. I mean, this is why I'm so passionate about us and the prayer times that we have here at the church on Tuesday morning and uh, Saturday morning. It's because the more of us that are gathered here praying for the needs of this community and of this church and of the people, God's going to move more powerfully. And so we just need to pray. Pray for those needs. And if you can, do something. Do something about the situation. And so that's our relationship goal for us and our relation to the rest of the world, everyone else outside of this room. It's for us to stop, see them as a neighbor, and ask ourselves the question, what can I do to be a neighbor to that person? What can I do as a follower of Jesus to pick them up? Wipe the blood off of their skin. Put them on my donkey and take them to an inn until they are nurtured back to health. How can I do that? And if we as the church start to do that, really start to go and say, how can I be a neighbor to the people around us? And I know I've heard stories of some of you, you know, doing that in your own time and, and, uh, and, and that's, you know, that's what God wants us to do. But the more we do that, the bigger the impact we'll make on this city, the more lives we're going to see changed and the greater things God is going to be able to do through us as we just ask that question, God, because you saved me and changed me, that neighbor is my responsibility.